In today's episode of the Amman Wire podcast. All of these ideas that inform suburbanism in America are becoming the host of Islam. We are going to be affected by those ideals. So we have manifestations of this, of this marriage, if you will. We have a lot of manifestations of this. And we identify so much with the, with the, with, let it, let's, say, let's say the way it is, with the white power in America, and we became a voice of it. And this is just one manifestation of suburbanized Islam, the comfort, the sense of security, the sense of this is how we want things to be. Detachment, complete detachment and remoteness and avoidance of every single thing that is that appeared to us as ugly, appeared to us that is not normal. And what's normal for us is what we see in what we see in the affluent society. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Iman Wire podcast. Salim here. Joining me today, my co-host Irfan. Assalamualaikum. Hey, Wago Salam Salim. Good, Good to have you. you back on the show. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. And uh, we're honored to have with us uh, Sheikh Hassan al who is a dear uh, friend of ours uh, who have been wanting to have on the show for a long time. And Alhamdulillah, uh, we're able to get him on tonight. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Hassan. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa Salim. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Irfan, how are you doing? Very nice to be to be with you tonight. No, shukran, Sheikh. And I've you know been looking forward to this conversation for a very long time. So it's amazing and awesome to be here. So for our listeners uh, who are not familiar with Sheikh Hassan, uh, Sheikh Hassan is the co-founder of Taisir Seminary in Knoxville, Tennessee. And if that sounds familiar, um, that's the 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 same seminary where Ustada um, Zainab Ansari, uh, who has been a, a frequent guest on our program in the past. Um, also teaches that as she's a colleague of uh, Sheikh Hassan. So, uh, without further ado, uh, Sheikh Hassan, uh, you know what we wanted to talk about today is something that uh, you know you've been you've been you've been mentioning quite often of late um, in discussing this idea of uh, suburbia, suburban Islam. If you could first explain to us what or how you define this uh, suburban Islam and 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 why you are. Uh, taking a lot of efforts in bringing this, uh, bringing attention to the topic, and and making a critique of it. It is extremely an honor to be here, and extremely an honor to talk about this. I feel that um, I have few few things to to say before we talk about that. So the first thing is that the first these are principles that are that should guide. Um, that, that guides my approach to this. Um, uh, the, first, the first principle is that uh, we are all the same. Basically, we are all the same, basically, whatever we're at. So a human being and is a human being. It goes through a lot of things. Of course, depending on where they're at, they have different challenges. But, you know, talking about the, the, the human being with, 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 the double, with a capital H or men with capital M, um, it's the same everywhere. The second thing is that everyone needs salvation. Everyone needs liberation. The third thing is talking about and using the, the language of suburbia, quote-unquote, um, always is, fraught, is embedded in the language of class. And when we talk about class, I think that one ought to be extremely careful, especially, especially in these days, because one can be... Can, can, uh, can be um, easily misinterpreted to be um, overly ideological or overly so 
um, I, I just want to make this disclaimer before we get into the before we get into the subject. Um, suburban Islam is part of suburban America, and suburban America is is has been in the making for a while, but the it has it had the sprawl of it and the 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 um, the the uh, magnification of it, if you will, came right after the second second uh, war war the World War Two, and the World War Two created this World War Two, as we all know, came with 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 a lot of changes that are social. And that are that are social and that are political, and so that's going on in America. Um, so we have the civil rights movement. We have uh, change in the economics. We have America is America is becoming the 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 power in the world. Uh, industrialization and it's full fledged, uh, and so on. Um, that created a need for created a need for for because of the overpopulation and also because of also because of Class issues, because of class issues, created a need, uh, especially for the for the, for white America to create a space for itself. Um, so it's 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 a class statement, if you will, um, and um, and you know the 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 uh, there are, the marriage the, the suburbia is is actually a marriage between several ideological powers the first one to to find in suburbia is individualism or what what we what what i what i'd like to call the the uh the feeling of avoidance you know what i mean there's a feeling of avoidance in the suburbia which means that uh we don't want to see we don't want to see the poor we don't want to see the there's a there is you know the rich wants to avoid the poor wants to avoid the chaos of you know the, the the social diseases of the inner cities, and it's all and it's all magnified. It's all it's all really this individualism is extremely embedded in the concept of the American dream. The American dream is always, you know, projected to be, you know, the house with a fence around it and a backyard, right? So that's the first thing. So. There is there is there's some type there is an individualism in it. The the the, the idea of individualism really informs um, suburban suburbanism. The second thing is is consumerism. And I can go on and on and on, and I know we want to talk about it later on, inshallah. And also class segregation. This is clear in suburbanism. By the time we have the integration of schools and the integrations of of uh, the integrations uh, on the Civil Rights Movement Act, uh, Right away, there was a huge, there is a huge diaspora, if you will. You know, what I mean, there is a huge social mo- so- social change that happened, or urban change, if you will, that happened right from urban America and the cities to creating the suburbia. Yeah. While before the World War II, suburbia was well, uh, the, the suburbs or so the the outskirts of the city were always places where menial jobs are there, African Americans live, and so on and so forth. Uh, now those places are becoming you know because the because there was this type of integration the 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 rich the white America had moved out to to the suburbs. Now also there is there is some type of uh, there is some type of a statement of success and a statement of reaching the American dreams or realizing the American dreams as I said, and we cannot take away. The very important current in the making of suburbia in America, which is evangelism. Evangelism works well 
with 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 the suburbanite uh, Americans. This is this this idea is extremely it's studied um, because you know the evangel evangelism and capitalism and the marriage between the two has been studied and so from very early on there is no reason to to go into there. But the reality is evangelism informs suburbia. The, the big, the huge mega churches, the stability of the people, the, the, uh, the ability of people to come and do jobs and do work in the, in, in the church. And so they're smart, they're educated. They have, they, have, uh, they, have, they have time, right? They have time. You know, they finish their job at, at four o'clock or five o'clock and they still can go and they still can volunteer and they still can do all of, all of that. So, um, Evangelism in its in the second in the second part of the second century had extremely extremely flourished in suburban in suburban America. Um, so these are some of the power of the some of the ideological currents that that underline the idea of suburbia. When we talk about Islamic or or Muslim suburbans or what I call um, you know suburban Islam. We talk about this vessel of suburbanism. That, that all of these ideas, all of these ideas that that informed suburbanism in America, are becoming the host of Islam. And there is no way, whether we are aware of it or unaware of it, we are going to be affected by those ideals, the ideals that informed this Islam. So we have manifestations of this, of this. Um, of this marriage, if you will, we have, we have this. This uh, we have a lot of manifestations of this, right? So we consider success as Muslims as when we have our houses. We have our house. We uh, we uh, we adopted the American dream. We adopted the idea without questioning what is it that is behind. What is the ideals behind it? What are the principles behind it that motivate it and informs it or inform it? So uh, we adopted it. So now the 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 success for a while especially for for the for the immigrant muslims and for the people who for the immigrant muslims mainly muslims have been the embodiment of that embodied suburban with all its with all its um what it offers let me just put it that way what what offers so look at our message they are a huge message we replicate which as much as we replicate the 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 church um we try as much as 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 we can to you know, in, in the way we adopt the, the, the white power, the way we, we dealt with it, the way we never for very, as long as Muslims lived in this country, I'm talking about the I'm talking about the suburban Muslims. Um, they didn't have an impact on civil rights or afterwards or afterwards. You know, OK, so we didn't have a lot of numbers in the, at the time with the, uh, a lot of immigrants in the at the time of the civil rights movement. But later on, there were a lot of issues that are social and you won't find Muslims even touching it. To give you one of the manifestations of, and I'll, let you, and, and I'll stop it here, one of the manifestations of suburban Islam, and that, that really shocked me. And that's, that, that's what I got started really thinking about the, the, about the, um, about the idea, right? Um, as you may recall, and you're close to the events, a few years back, there was this upheaval in, in, uh, in Baltimore, right? And there were street marshes and there were, protests and some of them were violent because we are so remote from the suffering of those who suffer in the urban cities our suburban reaction prompts one of the most and prominent um, uh, organization in america to, to issue a statement about the violence from the standpoint of the the victor 
the authority, the you know the, the you know. So we it, it be, it's echoed, it's echoed the idea of the white America, the the the, the fear of white America that African American are 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 protesting and they are burning the tires and burning and so on and so right. Forth. And even that violence was actually quite overblown. Um, sure. Sure. Itself, which was yeah. was pushed, with, and that was pushed. Sure. Out, you know, but but this is the, for me. For me, it was just like look, look, look at us. We, you know, look at us. We we adopted so much, and we identify so much with the with the with let's let's say let's say the way it is with the white power in America, and we became a voice of it. And this is just one manifestation of suburbanized Islam: the comfort, the sense of security, the sense of this is how we want things to be, uh, and, and the sense of also detachment, complete detachment, and remoteness and avoidance of every single thing that is that appear to us as ugly, appear to us that is not normal. And what's normal for us is what we see in what we see in the affluent societies, what we see in the malls, what we see in the consumer in the consumer consumer in society, and so on and so forth. So that that moment was an identifying moment for me. To start thinking about this. So, Sheikh, so um, I was just going to comment on the uh, some of the points you've made, which, mashallah, is a really wide understanding of this issue, and I think you've done a really great job of tackling this uh, these core issues. When we talk about the post World War II America, and I think people may not know this, but you know, America is the first country which the majority of the population lives in suburbs rather than living in either the cities or in these idyllic. Uh, Kind of rural settings, but I think people don't may not realize where this idea of the American dream of the suburban home and what's that cost of that. So you know, one of the major criticisms of urban sprawl is that it leads or has led to urban decay, and then you have a, a what essentially is a class issue, as you mentioned, but also a race issue where you have a concentration of lower income residents, usually of color, in the inner city. And then this manifests itself in stereotypes of what it is to live in the inner city and of those communities that have been perpetuated uh, through the media, but also through Hollywood and other, you know, these types of depictions. But I think one of the more interesting things as we talk about what's happening now in America, you find almost the reverse. This gentrification process is in full bloom in every major city. Um, you know, gentrification usually meant that people would go into these kind of like deteriorating areas and usually might be more of a bohemian artist community first. And then initially, uh, you would then find these waves of migration uh, coming in, essentially like white migration, but also token of minorities like ourselves. And full disclosure, I live in, in D.C., repping uh, the 202. So it's uh, very interesting that when I decided to live in D.C., the type of critiques I would get from not only suburban Muslims, but also my urban Muslim friends who all they wanted to do was live in the suburbs. Um, and so I think it's very interesting at that time because you see this kind of displacement happening where you have you know, landlords are taking advantage of the rising market prices and, you know, people are essentially being e evicted. Some cities have better protections than others um, of longtime residents. But then you also have this kind of ability to see the, 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 the huge benefits to a city, you know, the large influx of tax the revenue into oh, the yeah. public school system. So now oh, the yeah. schools get better. And I think that's the central thing. What you have mentioned, a lot of it revolves around fear. But Absolutely. most importantly, it revolves around children. So Absolutely. like, yeah, in the suburbs, you don't you may find a lot of good. And I think we should probably 
you know, have that premise, there's a lot of volunteerism happening from suburban communities. There's a lot of money being raised for a lot of social issues. I mean, that should be out there, whether in the mosque or in the in the wider suburbs. But one of the things that's interesting, this idea of avoidance. And I think a part of that avoidance is that there's a protection. You want to protect your kids from having to interact with, you know, kind of this aspect of humanity, the homeless, the mentally able, like who are, who are like kind of, um, you know, the idea is that they're kind of all over the urban population. And I'll say as someone who lives in the city, you do see homelessness. It's not everywhere, but you see it. And I think what's even more jarring is oftentimes when we go, especially now in parts of America, you may go to the suburbs, like in wealthier parts of Northern Virginia, for example, or in Maryland, and you will see homeless people there too. And I didn't make this comment. My five-year-old made this comment while we were driving out to a suburban mosque where she goes to Sunday school because there's no services like that in the city. And she said, oh, look, Dad, there's homeless people out here, too. So it's a very interesting reality um, that where you see all this affluence, you still see this part of society. But it does seem that in the suburbs, the general tendency is to have this avoidance. But from a spiritual perspective, I wanted to get your take on what that means for the Muslim. How does that, you know, how should we deal with homelessness from a spiritual perspective, but also from a more practical perspective, what is it that Muslim communities, particularly those who are in the suburbs, should be doing to help alleviate the suffering of others who may be suffering from mental illness or have you know, come across hard times or maybe just in the situation? Like, and so oftentimes I think communities in the suburbs are struggling to figure out what to do. They, they do the big, you know, maybe they donate turkey on Thanksgiving or they have clothing drives here and there. But it's from a sustained effort, like what is your recommendation to those, sub, those, sub, so those sub, suburban communities in terms of actions to be taken? You know, you, you hit it right in the, right, right in the spot, um, mashallah. I wanted to say first that, you know, I don't, I don't want... You know, because you know, most of the people are probably going to hear this podcast and going to are people who actually live in suburbia, and and I I do live in a suburban community, a suburban community. Uh, you know, when I came to Knoxville, I you know I didn't I you know I I had no idea I was I was uh, hired in the university and I had to find a place and you know I had to find a place so we we moved in here, um, but as I think about this more, um, I you know. I don't want this to be to be to be taken as an assault on choices sometimes that are that are that are um, that are innocent, right? I wanted to. I don't want this to be a that anybody to feel bad about situations where they found themselves in. I want. I want this to. I want this to be a a. Uh, I want to be and this to be to be created an awareness. About what are what is it that we lose if we don't pay attention to the destructive nature of some of the some of the the uh, uh, some of the suggestions of suburbia. So, if we can create communitarism in suburbia, if we can create a level of connectedness, if we can create a level of and and we have to give we have to give. Uh, uh, dues to wherever dues are, are to the right to wherever right is dues is due. Sorry, uh, that 
most of the masajid in America are made, are created in, are, are masajid in schools and Islamic schools and, and so are, are, are built by people in suburbia who donate generously and who are involved and he wants to, you know, wants to practice the Islam in the most beautiful way and he wants to promote Islam and so. My idea is just to create an awareness, right? Creators of what suburbia can do to us. It can numb our sensitivities towards poverty, towards death. You don't see death in suburbia. You don't see. You don't see it. <laughs> I mean, you don't see. You don't see uh, all of the social diseases. You don't see them in suburbia because everybody is closing their doors and everybody is busy. You know, uh, driving their kids to soccer, from soccer to music, and from music to whatever, whatever it is. That they are driving their kids to, and there is there is just a um, you know there, there is just a lot of individualism in it, a lot of me and myself and I. And when we create our messages in there, they reflect the, the 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 social services that we do. They reflect a an upper hand uh, culture. It reflects a like you know looking down to those who you know we give them turkey and so and so. That's fine. That's that's great. But we don't identify with what they go through. We touch them with a stick. We don't. We, you know what I mean? It's like you're touching something with a stick that you don't want to. You don't want to get close to because it's contagious or something like that. And we have to be careful with that. We have to. I always say that if you don't know a poor person, if you don't know people who are, and you live with them, and you visit them, and you identify with them, then a lot of our deen. Is locked. A lot of our spiritual spiritual advancement is locked because spiritual advancement is not just in is not just in you know in praying a lot, in making sadaqa a lot, and so in actual you know the the, the you know the spiritual uh, transformation and refinement happen most of the time. Most of the time, if we create this sense of connectedness with the poor. And that's that's why the the, the early Sufis and until now they call themselves the fuqara. They call themselves fuqara, right? That's how they, that's how they call themselves fuqara, which means that this identification with the, with the poor, this identification with the orphans, identification identification means that not just handing them handouts at the at the end of the at the end of the month or or feeling so, you know, you know, I I, I, I do I do a lot we do a lot of social a lot of social services and so on and so forth. And one thing that you find is that you find a lot of, in a lot of our messages. The processes, for example, of getting somebody from the inner city to get a sadaqa or to get a zakat or something, it's extremely hard and extremely humiliating, extremely so that all of the small things tell you that our view of the of the urban Muslims is extremely tainted with with suburbia. Now what do we do with gentrification? What do we do with, with all of that? Before we get into um sure. I, I just like your thoughts because obviously uh, you know we're talking especially about those um uh, in the suburbs of, especially from immigrant backgrounds, right? Who uh, who came from countries who that where there obviously there was a lot of these countries there's a lot of um impoverished peoples. Um and uh, you know they already have a set of ideas about um who the poor are and 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 there was probably even an aversion to the poor even in a lot of their countries that they came yeah, from. Definitely. And so then they come over here uh, and then, you know, you buy into, as you're saying, this whole, this ethos of, of say, white supremacy, of classism, of suburbia, uh, and you go part and parcel with that and you become, try to become, say, this model minority and uh, you just live that way as you are in the suburbs and then when it comes to dealing with the poor as a Muslim community like maybe we have some of these social programs but as you say we're not really um, 
identifying. There's not really that connection. And I wanted to hear your thoughts about like, how did we get to this point? Because if there's one thing that we know, or of one of the many things we know about our Prophet ﷺ was that he was tremendously connected with the poor in particular and made a particular emphasis, not just uh, in his statements about the virtues of the poor and, 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 and the virtues of being with the poor, but also in his own action and that he actually would, would, would sit with the poor and, and stay with them very often. So I'd like to hear your thoughts about like, how did we get to this point from a, a spiritual and community level where we have this aversion to the poor um, and how, it's, how we can sort of return back to um, the prophetic model? Yeah. Uh, you know, subhanAllah, I mean, I, I, I just feel that um, um, the making of the Muslim community, especially the especially the, uh, the transnational presence of the Muslim community in America, people who migrated in the 60s and the 70s, especially in the 70s and 80s, 70s, you know, uh, late 50s, 60s and 70s, the second, the second and third wave of migration um, in America, um, most of them were accidental activists, you know what I mean? They, they were accidental activists in the sense that there, there was a there was a level of uh, there wasn't there wasn't a, a there wasn't much strategizing. It was a lot of there, there was a, there was a sense of protectionism in them. That's that's the idea. The idea is to protect, and this idea of protecting is not is not really uh, it's not really strange for Muslims and for especially and even in Muslim scholarship you know it's not strange as Islam uh, came down as I said this is a prophetic term came down from the heights of prophethood and the caliphate um, a lot of scholars find themselves in a preservative mode they're preserving preserving and preserving that's why even maqasid sharia are formulated in in the mm -hmm. form of preserve preserve not promote because they knew that Islam was slipping from under their their hands and that that was the and there is another we can talk about this another time inshallah um, it's extremely important to understand where are the scholars coming from why are they formulating it in preserve 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 and for a long time the ummah has been in that preservative mode because of the hegemony of of uh, the hegemony of colonialism uh, and so on and so forth the modernity and so on and so forth when when muslims came in here the mode is is even heightened in the preservation. And one of the most natural way to do is to identify with the victor. The Ibn Khaldun is extremely acute in studying the in studying the, the, the psychology of the groups. He said that um, he talked about that that the Ghalib is the religion and and ideals and the practices and the ways of the victors become idealized by the by the one who is who is um, who is the weak and in the, in this case we are so enamored with whatever it's modernity we are in america right now coming from the middle east of the 60s and you know or or uh, or uh, uh, the sub indian continent of the 60s and you know how it was early it was just came out of uh, it just came out of uh, independence and we are in, in, in a state, our st the notion of nation state is new to us, and so on and so forth. And we are struggling mightily, and our education is in shambles, and you know, and so on and so forth. Right. So when we come in here, we idealize the ways of the the ways of the of the victor. And in this case, in here, white America, so I, we, I, we identify with that power. 
we identify with that power and we make every single thing work in that way. We, we, even our religious interpretations become as such that they, that they identify with that. Just, and this is not anomaly. This is not an anomaly for the Muslims. The, you know, if you look at the history of the other religions, if you look, for example, at a time where, where, where Jesus came into, to, came into Judea, um, He's dealing with a lot of he's dealing with a lot of with a lot of uh, uh, with a lot of type of Jewish people and some of them and one of one of those groups was the Sadducees and the Sadducees were this priests priests we had a lot of discussions with them right they have a lot of discussions with them the Sadducees were the kings before the Romans came in they were the rulers of Judea right they were priests they were elevated and so when the Romans came in they accepted them. And they identified with them, and they became the elite of that society. So when Jesus came in, so we talk about Jesus going to the temple and debating with the people in the temple. Who are those people? They are the Sadducees, the comfortable, the people who are who identified with the status quo, and they did not want to change. We don't, we don't want to change anything. They were politically conservative, and any disturbance would be a threat for them. So you can you, you can you know you, you can see how this relates to a lot of our and that's why he rebelled against them similarly the prophet rebelled against those who are comfortable most of the people who followed him up until the until, until the medanese period were people who are disfranchised right the, the bilal of the world and the musab of the world and the yasir of the world and the sumayya of the world and so on and so forth um so for, so the muslims in here you know we just have to understand that being here for so long, it's going to have an impact to us. It's going to have an impact to us unless we start thinking about it, unless we start really being aware of what suburbia can, suburbia can do to our our practice of religion and our and our uh, rendition of religion and our understanding of our religion. We have to. What happened to us was an intellectual. It's an intellectual degradation that happened from a very long time. Right? It's an intellectual, spiritual degradation that happened from a very long time. Spirituality now is not related to the is not related to the social justice. Spirituality is related to sitting down in in a zawiya. Look at the word zawiya, a corner, which means like you're isolated, you're isolated in the organ adkar and I'm not undermining that. I'm not undermining that. But to revive the Ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, we have to revive. We have to. We have to look at the first community and how it did it. And the first community, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, for as long as he lived in Mecca, most of the people were the poor people, the poor people. So he, he was not, you know, the the surah surah Abbas came to to say that to say the Prophet say no listen you have to pay attention to the poor and the destitute and those who are not forgotten or those who are forgotten those who are vulnerable sixteen times the word yatim was mentioned in the Quran a lot of people don't know that uh, Imam Bukhari mentions that the Sahaba used to call surah al Ma'un surah al surah al surah al yatim the 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 uh, the surah of the orphan so theology and i hope inshallah we can talk about this another time in a separate in a separate talk uh theology has not been always a theology that relates to human being it's not always related to salvation early theology 
And you can see that in all the Meccan Quran, all the Meccan Quran, without exception, there is no time in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about his oneness except as he speaks about the vulnerable, social justice. So our theology from a very early on was liberating because Bilal and Ammar and all of those would not have accepted Islam if it only, it only offered them the choice or only offered them the promise of a, of a paradise somewhere sometime. No, they believed in Islam because it promised them, it promised them in their lifetime liberation. And that's why you look at the hadith of Sayyidina Habib ibn al-Arat and he said, the Prophet said, you are so in rush. You, there will be time that one of you will walk from Syria to Yemen fearing nothing except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the wolf for his, for, his, uh, for his sheep. So we moved away from that. We moved away from that you know, 14 centuries of, of degradation. And I know there were times where we celebrate the height of scholarship, we celebrate the height of all of that, but, but we, 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 there will be time where we have to discuss, about, discuss all of that. Is, is scholarship and academic scholarship and height in ulum always matched with the, with, with the elevation of, Muslims, of, Muslim, of Muslim people? It, I think it, that's it, a it, yeah, that's a fun. Yeah, a lot of yeah. a lot of times it's not. A lot of times it's not. Look, Al Ghazali came with the Muslim were in a crisis. Al Ghazali ha happened when a Muslim ha were in crisis. Al Imam Shatibi happened when a Muslim were in crisis. Al Ibn Khaldun happened when a Muslim were in crisis. So it's the 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 very enlightening thought of the Muslim always happened when a Muslim were in crisis. Comfort has always been detrimental to the Ummah of the Prophet And this is one of the main things that comfort does to suburbia. It numbs us, really it numbs us of the suffering of people around us. So, so I'm not asking people to move from suburbia. What I'm asking people to do is to get out of this, the mindset of suburbia. Because uh, suburbia is not just, is, it's a place, it's not just a place, actually. It is a mindset and a way of being and a state of being. So you could live whatever you want. You could live in the inner city and you're still a person who is arrogant. You're still a person who is individualistic. You're still a person who is, who, who is a sense of, uh, uh, sense of entitlement and a sense of, uh, and so on. You know what I mean? It's, you could embody all the issues of suburbia, all the, the diseases of suburbia, while you are living amidst all of that, right? And that's why, and hence gentrification, and hence, uh, you know, urban policies that completely put the poor out of places where they are hidden, and they are not, at the, uh, they are not, and the homeless, and so on and so forth. A lot of cities right now are, are, are having policies to, to, take, to, to take away homeless from certain zones of the city because people can't, they don't want, they don't want the city to be known by. So we have to be part, not of the power. We have to be, we have to be the voice of resistance. We have to be the, the, the voice of reason, the voice of, you know, the voice of those who don't have a voice. And this is a great opportunity at this moment right now. History when Muslims are into social, 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 activism and what 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 the you know and this this tinge of uh, this air of resistance that all of a sudden happened to to be imbued by the muslims i think this is our time to direct it you know direct that instead instead of leaving it uh, you know leaving it to 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 really get extinguished in the altar of the of the of the you know presidential pol politics we have to redirect it 
to become something that is social, to become something that is, you know, that air of resistance has to be with those who are. And I don't have to, you don't have to change where you live. You just change how you think. Just things change how you think and should it change how you think and it change how we use our religion, right? Not, not something to legitimize our status, but actually to promote us to think and how to be a source of, how, how, to, how to bring beautiful schools to places instead of just going and in the weekend and giving them food. I think this is time to start thinking about how to, how to create modes of living and modes of production of those people work and such and such and such in where, where they're at, where they're at, rather than, you know, let them come to us and receive charity. Let them come to us and, and receive that, that uh, medical treatment. Let's go to them and build those institutions for them in there to help them survive the hegemony of the hegemony of the neoliberalism. Right? So neoliberalism, the neoliberalism is actually devastating. The first line of that is devastated by those are the poor people in the inner city. They are the disfranchised, and this is the time we have to be in their side. And I think it's historical because a lot of youth are are into politics right now because of what Trump is saying and all of that. And so, and I think this is the moment we have to cultivate that zeal and that anger and that and direct it and the, direct it in a very prophetic way to create a sentiment of mercy and sentiment of brotherhood and sentiment of care and sentiment of the the tie-in, the destiny, you know, we have, you know, that our destiny depends on the destiny of those people. And if we do that, and I think if we tie our destinies, I think that building Muslim communities and prophetic communities will be extremely easy. Well, that's just just it, um, Sheikh, because, you know, I think one of the, the major criticisms that, you know, that, at least that I have of a lot of uh, suburban efforts in in say social justice or uh, uh, you know uh, homeless uh, treating homelessness helping homelessness and things like that is that uh, especially in our current um, uh, you know political social climate that it's it's not coming from um, it's not coming from the right intention it's it's not really a genuine effort akin to say what the the prophet sallallahu and the oh, companions okay. during that time it's coming from a very uh, the same selfishness the same self-serving uh, from that sort, that origin, that you know, a lot of the other ills of suburbia that you were mentioning before are, are coming from. It's just that 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 way of like, okay, well, we have to protect ourselves, or we have to protect our children. We have to say that well, we're American, that we are we're legitimate, and so that oh, that means that we have to go out and do this, or that means we have to go and support this. And it's not really coming from. It's purely, in, in many ways, reactionary, uh, and it's not really coming from that the heart of of the community, the heart of each of us as individuals, um, you know, it's not coming from that, that place where it should be coming from. That's something that it's, it's a matter of us checking and, 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 and determining what our intentions are and getting out of our comfort zones to be able to actually go and do these, these, these efforts, as you're saying, but go with a, a different mindset than what we currently have. I, I do agree. I just feel that I think we have to be merciful. I feel that as much as I'm critical, I think, you know, my intention is that we, we, we educate and we educate and we educate and we connect to the Prophet and we connect to the Prophet in a, matter, in a way that are real, um, in ways that are real, not just in ways that are academic, in a way that are scholastic. And I feel that the scholastic, the scholastic uh, uh, 
you know, discourse is reigning, the fiqh, the fiqh discourse and the scholastic discourse is reigning our, um, our uh, you know, religious, uh, is, is really hampering our religious discourse in, our, in, in America. And I, and I feel that, you know, I feel that, you know, we have to be merciful to the people who, they did their best, you can you know, they did their best, they built the messages, they built the schools, they're working hard, but it is, it is the role of the religious elite to set that discourse. It is the the role of the religious. It's not just the pulpit. I'm thinking that you know we need uh, people to think about these issues. You know to think about these issues and inform our inform our activism and inform our 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 work in the masjid and in the communities and so on and so forth. And unless we do that, unless we we have people who can think of of these issues. Um, the, the very, again, the very, um, uh, what do I, you know, I, I'm harsh in this criticism, you know, please forgive me. <laughs> what I call, what I call spiritual, spiritual entertainment message is always going to be there. It's always going to be there. Very and, evangelical. And not, yeah. And it's uh, true. And it's true. It's, it's, it's just, re, it's just a, it's very, it's, it's, a, you know, it's reactionary, a very, it's, it's very, uh, what's the word? Um, it's, it doesn't build, you know. What I mean, it doesn't change. It doesn't change. Right. You know, we need tajdid, and tajdid. The word tajdid means that you look at, you know, you can't just keep on repeating and repeating, repeating the same message of 19th century and, and and early 20th century. We have to think about our religion from. We have to think about our religion. We have to think about how to, how do we apply it? Where do we? What type of will? What type of ideas? What type of intellect are we are we are we uh, dealing with our with our religion, and I think if we, we if we change the tide, and this is we invest in our youth, and we change the tide of, you know, we change the we change the discourse, right? And we change the discourse by always speaking about social justice in every single matter, and tying it up to every single thing and every single thing. I think we're going to come up with some great people who can who can who can who can change the course of our who can change the course of our of our realities. Look, you know, Malcolm is a product of, not of suburbia, Malcolm is a product of the inner city. The civil rights movement, all of it is the product of civil rights, of, of the, of the, not of suburbia, of, 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 uh, of, uh, the, you know, the inner cities. And I, I don't, I don't mean, again, I repeat, I don't, I don't mean that we should all have to go to, and repeat that history because a lot of times, uh, every, every time and every, and every community, you know, have its own, you know, we don't have to recreate those events, you know, but I, I mean that we have to recreate those sentiments and create those inclinations and, create, and, uh, and recreate those urgencies, right? Unless we see that as a matter of life and death and tie our da'wah, we tie our da'wah, we tie our the salvation of people, we tie it up with liberating them from every single sense. I don't think we're going to. I don't think we're going to move out of out of the out of the out of the you know the quagmire that the Muslim community is 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 going through. And we have to understand that even with the flourishing of the speakers and seminaries are popping up left and right, and that's all great. And so we, it's our opportunity to direct uh, to direct the message. And when we direct the discourse, I think after ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, we can have institutions like Iman. Um, like Iman, uh, what is it called in Chicago? It's called oh, Iman. Yeah, yeah, the inner, the inner, uh, 
inner city uh, Muslim like action network. Uh, exactly. That's exactly. Rami's group, which is the Rami, Rami and Ashashi. You know, yeah. and that, and that's an ideal. That's an ideal example. Uh, you know, our investment instead instead of building the huge masajids, let's let's do let's do services. Let's do serve. Let's serve those communities that are extremely un, under underserved, and we be them, be with them, not as as a sense of charity to them, but as sense of a sense of. Uh, you know, we go and learn from them because those people, you know, most of the rights that we enjoy right now are, are, you know, they bled for it, they died for it, they, you know, they, they, and they still, they are, they are still. So, uh, you know, you know, when we when we realize that we are indebted to them and we need them for our for the salvation of our deen, or we need them as well for this for the liberation of ourselves as well, unless we do that, we have we 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 still are going to have a very individualistic spiritualism and a very uh, and a very short-sighted traditionalism it's a very short-sighted so we talk about fiqh we talk about hadith we talk about this we talk and that's all good that's all good but if it doesn't tie up to the liberation of people ourselves included i don't think it's going to work i don't think it's going to work and I, and it's going to be it's going to be the it's going to be the religion of the comfortable right but I think you know you're running into a very pragmatic issue, which is essentially people want to be happy, and to be happy, as you mentioned, making innocent decisions at the offset, but being you know maybe more socially aware of the consequences of the decisions of trying to live the American dream, wanting the best education for your children. I mean, it cannot be understated that a lot of the reasons why we see institutional growth within suburban communities is because essentially you have populations that came in some cases through a lot of difficulty who were maybe coming from impoverished lands and maybe been poor themselves. And so like you see within aspects of the African-American community within the African-American, even the African-American Muslim community, people who eventually come out of poverty, come out of the city, go to the suburbs and never go back. I mean, that's a phenomenon that, that you do see in communities like the W.D. Muhammad community as well as some of the older communities. But I think it's important that we underscore that wealth just as that's changing the landscape of American Islam through the building of mosques, if you look at the way like gentrification has played with a lot of more young Muslim uh, professionals making the decision to live in urban environments like their white counterparts or other, other ethnicities, but even wealthy African-Americans to a certain extent as well, and you see the gentrification coming in, there's a lot of positives to that. The schools all of a sudden start to get better. I'll give you my own parallel. When I moved into the city where I currently lived, I lived in the city for a long time, but where I currently live, it was about 10 years ago. It was a food desert. There was no grocery store within walking distance at all. And I remember during Snowmageddon, I think that was circa 2009 or something like that, I had to walk literally miles to go downtown to a brand new um, you know, like grocery store that was serving essentially a high-end uh, you know, condo building or apartment building. And it was really... You know, at that point, I remember walking back, you know, in that state, exhausted, carrying these bags of groceries through the snow that I couldn't, you know, you, you were so frustrating that you couldn't find fresh produce. The type of grocery stores that were in poor communities, especially on my street at that time, were things that you would not want to go through. Like the, the produce section was literally a box of old, uh, you know, old parsley maybe or something like that. And it's, a, you know, it's something that me and my family, we experienced in that, this time. It's amazing now, you know, this time like what let's say about a year ago we have a whole foods now we have a trader joe's now but there's a lot of conflict i remember uh 
with another sociologist. We were actually in a grocery store that had opened near my house. And it was uh, interesting to see people complaining about the type of food, that it wasn't the brands that they were familiar with, that they didn't want organic food. They didn't want these types of things. And it was interesting. They had made a decision to make a more mainstream grocery store come in because they felt that, they could be the, that it would be more suitable for the, like for the neighborhood. Yeah. But in reality, the neighborhood has drastically changed. You know, where I, when I first bought in, you would find a lot more of the kind of, you know, quick cash locations, liquor stores, and those are all gone. I mean, and that's a positive. I can walk safe, safely down the street and not just me, but anyone can walk safely down the street. And I think there is the issue of displacement. But I think it, to understand the tensions that are happening within urban environments with gentrification is not always so one sided because at the same time, you know, my daughter's school is about maybe 70 to 80% still African-American. Um, you know, it still, you know, has its challenges, but it's a blue ribbon school now all of a sudden. So I think there's amazing things that are possible when people simply are reinvesting within the public school scenario. People weren't doing that, so you didn't have that. You didn't have a PTA raising $100,000 during fundraising because no one did that. But that's happening now on a yearly basis. And I think it also allows for people to be more interconnected. I think one of the problems you mentioned was the individualism. And I see that a lot within the suburban community. Uh, you know, people close their doors, may not know their neighbors. It's not always the case. I mean, there's different exceptions sure, to this. Sure. Um, but I think it's also part of modernity. You find that in the city a lot, too, people don't really know their neighbors. And I didn't know my neighbors until I had a kid. And when you have a kid, you're making an investment to stay in the city. Yeah. So then you make an investment to, to kind of get your neighbors. It's like mosque. People don't care about having a mosque until they have a kid. And yeah. then they start building a mosque. And I just think that, you know, what are your thoughts on wealth management? Like, well, like what I'm hearing from you, it, it sounds like instead of Muslims simply building more and more mosques, like, like, you know, in the suburbs. And I think there's a huge risk there because 10, 15 years down the line, these mega mosques, you know, that mimic these mega churches are not going to be able to financially sustain themselves. It's nice that the few doctors in the community got together and did that, but their children are not doctors now. And their children want to live in the city and they don't want to live in, you know, Albany, New York, or they don't want to live in uh, Sugarland, Texas. And they don't want to they want to go to New York City. They want to go to Washington, D.C. They want to go to L.A. So it's interesting to see how these suburban communities are actually going to sustain themselves in 10, 15 years. And like, would you like recommend that financially there should be a more of a strategy by national organizations or even local communities to really think about where they're putting their wealth, that it may be better to serve the communities, as you said, like actually where they are, where you like, and especially in urban areas where there may be a lack of services to actually have maybe satellites, essentially, of larger communities? Like, do you think that's the the better solution? Or do you think that these communities are just continue on this pattern of uh, kind of this McDonald's version of Islam, yeah. you know, keep, keep, like, keep moving further away from urban populations? Yeah, yeah, you know, all of those, you know, you know, the, the, you know any solution that centralizes, that centralizes the, the, uh, that chases us away from the land of complacency is great. You know, I mean, any solution that says it's, that really chases us away and get us away from the land of of just comfort and status quo is extremely is is great. So, you know, yes, um, in, you know, building institution within the city and 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 serving that community and learning from that community because there is a lot that we should learn uh, from that community. Um, building alliances within that community, paying attention to what goes on in that in those struggles on a day and a day to day. Any change is great. Any change that we can, any 
any change in the mindset is is welcomed in this direction in, in this direction is welcome you know it's going to take us a while to figure out how things are going to be and they're going to be and, and we're going we, we, if we put ourselves into it we, we may come up with a lot of solutions because because one of the great things about suburbia is that it has a lot of smart people right <laughs> a lot of smart people that's the reality i mean the the last pew um, pew research about readability in or reading in america uh, actually, suburbia reads more than, than the inner city. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. That uh, I think we should put it with the put it with the uh, with the uh, yeah. Seriously, I mean, yeah. re- just this is the reality. You know, people who are who, are, who have uh, you know who, who achieve. But I also um, think that the suburbia also has an emptiness to it. I know I always make fun of mm. one of our board members who lives in the suburbs. And uh, when I would go meet him, he would want to like uh, meet at a Starbucks. And then if he were to come into the city, we would go to these really nice coffee shops. You know, true. Where you have these baristas that are wearing like real aprons and, you know, take their craft very <laughs> seriously. And so I would I remember we were on a trip actually overseas. And, you know, this issue is not something that's limited to America, although maybe America has its own, you know, these like kind of like uniqueness to it. But. Uh, we were in Spain, I believe, and um, he's like, oh, Irfan, I found this amazing uh, this amazing cafe. Like, we got to go visit it. It's like nearby the hotel. So we left and uh, we get there and we're eating there. And I, I didn't want to spoil the event for him. He goes, isn't this the, the coolest cafe? And I was like, um, you know, this is a chain. It's called Le Pen Cote de It's like literally all around the world. <laughs> but I didn't want to ruin it for him. But like, I was like, you know, you've been going to Starbucks. And I think it's really sad when I go to a Starbucks uh, and I don't go often, uh, especially the, like, especially these days. But I think um, when you go, when you go to these types of establishments that exist, you know, they are trying to mimic and create this a feeling that you're in an urban environment. They even may have pictures of buildings on the walls and all of this as well. I just think that there's always this romanticization with cities to some extent, but also maybe um, a feeling of guilt, of being not connected to more people. And when you go to strip malls, it's not the same thing as if I go to the baker and I know his name. I mean, I can literally go to restaurants in my neighborhood that are you know, five stars, some of the Michelin awarded, but I know the people that work there. I know some people that work there, although they'll actually recognize us. So there's this idea of being connected to people that I think you do lose by being in the suburban area. But I think one of the issues, and I think you've touched on this, is this individualism is also the selfishness. I mean, these aren't traits that are just for people in the suburbs, but I think that I think the fear I have is that as gentrification continues, we're just going to see those same traits you know, manifest themselves in now this newly colonized area, you know, this, um, this area that now is reclaimed for more wealthier folks to live in. Um, and I think that's problematic from a spiritual perspective, but I think at the same time, um, as we should be more cognizant of and more merciful with, with people's, like those choices that, that people are making, there's also the reality that rich people have always been rich (laughs) and poor people have always been poor. You had Sahaba, like Uthman and, Abdurrahman, like like Ibn Auf, who were who were wealthy, but then you also had Sahabas who may have been coming out of dire circumstances, like Bilal or Abu Dhar, who came from maybe Arab tribes that didn't have the same type of prestige as others, so they didn't have that wealth. So how is it when we look at parallels of urbanization? It's nothing new to Islam. You know, Mecca was an urban area. And Medina was this kind of backwater agrarian society. It's still a city, but it was, had a, a more of a, a, this type of farming community. I think Muslims oftentimes forget that these types of experiences that we are living in now 
are the same type of experiences that Muslims experience at the beginning of Islam when they experience the cosmopolitan boon in Baghdad. It's the same type of thing. I mean, how do you feel Muslims should be more attuned to their surroundings and how that informs them? So I think that was kind of your central point. Yeah. How is it that Muslims should be more attuned to that and be aware of that? I mean, there's some issues. I live in the city and I feel like I'm cool because I live in the city. I don't know who anyone tells me that they live in. I don't want to name a suburb that anyone lives in. But <laughs> there's a lot of suburbs to choose from. But I never heard of anyone tell me a suburb and thought that was the coolest place to live. It's very rare. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to, I have to, I have to, to, to comment on a very and a subtle thing, a very subtle um, thing that you mentioned, you know, with with very with 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 uh, living in 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 the urban um, in the urban surrounding, an urban urban environment, you know, there is the sense of there is the sense of you know looking down to suburbia, and and that's that's as 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 big a disease. And disdain to suburbia, and that's that's you know that's a disease as well as a lot of diseases that suburbia, you know, and and because of what you know the urban the urban city can offer, the urban environment can offer, you know, the closeness, the 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 closeness to people, the the proximity, the you know the 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 relation, the relations, the the, and so all of those are 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 a great thing, you know, all of those are good things to enjoy. Alhamdulillah, that's great. But to what end? You know, to what end our revolt against all of those principles of, of suburbia? And to what end our, um, you know, to what end all of that? Our our enjoyment of the uh, of the suburban what it offers, right? You know, what end is all of that? So, if I think the most important thing is that we we, we pay attention to, to that that the, the the human need for the the human need. Uh, at the end of the day, when it comes to when it comes to their souls, is the same. It's the soul could be the the same. You know, the soul can be agonized, right? Is agonized whether it is in whether it is in suburbia enjoying the comfort or in 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 the in the urban environment where all of that is offered to it and it enjoys the cultural um, you know the cultural vibrancy and all of that and so. You know, the soul is still agonized. The soul is still suffering. The soul is still uh, going through all of that. And our role is to appease both. Our role is to take away all of that negativity of suburbia and infuse it. Infuse it. We're not. We're not leading a social a social change and and creating a reverse, um, you know, a reverse uh, migration back to you know. It's extremely, extremely. I would love difficult. it though. It's so lonely yeah. being the only Muslim in the neighborhood. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is that what I'm saying is that we can do that, and it's coming. You know, we can do that, and it's coming. But it comes with with a lot of. It comes with. It's fraught with danger as well. It's fraught with the danger of feeling the feeling of of superiority, the feeling of you know that that you are at the midst of the at the midst of the center of where things are, the center of action, and so on and so forth, and. Sometimes can bring can bring a subtle arrogance that is very that is antithetical to what we want to do. We have to realize that the city can really encroach our soul as much as suburbia can encroach on the souls of the people who are comfortable and so on and so forth. And our and our our role in here is to provide a to provide salvation to those souls and to provide spiritual uh, guidance to those souls. And it only happens. 
it only happens if we look at the human being first as 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 a as a soul that needs to be that needs to be salvaged that needs to be that needs to be saved that needs to be that needs to be liberated as well so you know how do we do that how, you know th there are multiple ways we could do it so first of all you know we have the we have to bring we have to bring some type of restlessness to our religious discourse religion has always been has always been restless you know what i mean it's it becomes really uh, abated, if you will, when it's at its at its worst, if you will. You know, the Prophet ﷺ has always been, always at the at the time of poverty, as as well at the time of 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 when things start becoming better. Prophet ﷺ is always warning them from the to the demise of both. Right, Allah min wa a'udhu bika min min. Uh, you know, he, he talks about uh, talks about poverty that is that makes you forget, and he talks about you know richness and wealth that makes you transgress, right? And he's always reminding the Sahaba of that, always reminding them of the you know both extremes can have a very can have a devastating um, impact on the soul. And I, I think that whenever we talk about spirituality, we have to tie you know when we talk about spirituality in the Sarabi, we have to tie tie it up to how how do we connect to the how do we connect to the disfranchised how do we connect to the people who are and so and when we talk to the people who are in in the urban cities um, we have to have to be careful as well not to pad on the ego because it is devastating as well it is devastating and both of them need, need to be catered, catered catered to i think if we create an environment in which both can come to the can come to to care about their souls and to care about their akhirah and to care about their, I think, I think that's that's the that's the ideal. Um, what a type of programs we can do? There is there's a lot of programs that we can do. It's just the attitude that should be changed. The attitude of the that we are above. That's what you do. Whether you are in in the inner city or we are in the suburbia, the sense of entitlement and the sense of uh, you know of transcendence, if you will. That's devastating to any spirituality, to any religiosity, um, and and I think whatever programs we could do, we could start with something as small as as small as contributing to a contributing, for example, to an after school program in one of the inner cities. We can we can start with whatever it is, funding certain things in the, in in the institutions that are all that are already there. Just funding them out of out of the out of the donations that we get in the masjid, we start building those relationships. We start educating those. We start take, for example, we can start educating leadership, all right, and putting some type of some type of scholarship for the people in the inner cities. Because at the end of the day, I'm always going to be a foreigner. I'm always going to be a person with an accent. I'm always going to be a person that that, that is not completely in tune with the details and the nuances of the culture in America. I came to this country when I was 27. You know, I consider myself that, you know, I know a lot about the American culture, but you know, to be honest with you, you know, there's a lot of things that eludes me. There's a lot of things that eludes me. And and it takes a while to teach somebody like me to, to become culturally savvy. And I'm trying, I'm trying, doing my best, right? But it makes more sense to, to invest in somebody from that inner city. And educate them and, and let them do their thing and learn from them so and learn from them how, how to how to connect few months ago few months ago lebron made a tweet I'm, i don't i don't have twitter so i just saw it in new york times uh, 
about a brother who saw two kids fighting at the inner cities. I don't know where it was. It was I think it was in Washington, D.C. or I don't know where, where it was, or Atlanta or it was somewhere. Near, yeah, it was actually uh, near Atlantic City, I believe. It was in Atlantic City. Yeah, yeah. And, and he just stood up between them, and he, and he did what, what he did something that is so amazing without without be without mentioning without mentioning that he's a Muslim or anything without mentioning Allah and his messenger without without being that that preachy and he went viral and he was invited to this and that and he was right so I think that you know educating the next generation and giving them a chance rather than trying to do every single thing all ourselves I think that we have to say you know there are, there are, you know, we can provide a lot of things. We can, we can be there, but just let go of the baton of leadership to, 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 to people who can actually change those, uh, change, change those areas and change the way we think about it. And I'm pretty sure that if we, if we educate enough people, I'm pretty sure that our view of religion, our practice of religion will, will have, will have, will change in a lot of areas. Our perception will change in a lot of areas. Like I'll give you an example. I give you an example. Like Walid al-Din Muhammad was the first one to talk about getting into elections way back in the eighties. Yeah, that's right. true. Yep. Way back in the eighties. Right. And you know, if we, I always say, if we start from from where Malcolm had ended, we will be much, much, much better. But we never continued on that on that path. Why? Because they, because Malcolm, Walid al-Din Muhammad. And what, what the community for Din Muhammad have been doing for a long time is he's the first person to go to Congress and give his and give and give a, sal- a prayer in there where everybody condemned him and everybody looked down at him and everybody so you know there is a sense of there is a level of uh, uh, of acute understanding of reality that this disfranchised community in this in, in communities in America have that we don't have. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that. To, yeah, but there's a lot of that 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 kind of gets um to the core of the issue, right? That a lot of times, uh, Muslims coming from different backgrounds and in a lot of ways becoming more religious in a minority setting than they would be if they remained in their in in their home country of of origin. Uh, there was this kind of you know re- like this kind of reflex to reject certain things of the culture, and yet imbibe everything completely so yet you're gonna you know and you i'm sure we're gonna get a lot of negative comments on this on some of the social media stuff but you know one of the things you're gonna always find is muslims will oftentimes be very negative and judgmental about people's decisions like worthy muhammad's community for example there's a lot of critique for example against the nation of of islam on its on its theology and that's warranted no doubt about that but you cannot take away their contribution before the nation of Islam, for example, there was no mosque in any major city of America. In major city, I'm not talking about Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I know that's going to come up, but I'm talking about major city of America. But after the nation of Islam had come in, every major city in America had at least one mosque. Whether or not we agree with their theology or their worship style, that's another issue. And I'm I'm all about that that type of like criticism. But you have to see the benefit of that community. And I think something that you're mentioning as well, there's other communities that came afterwards, the Darul Islam movement, you know, that H. Rap Brown was a part of and a lot of folks were part of. And they had a similar type of effect of building these organizations in areas that simply put a white America had forgotten after the white flight. And many of our 
our fathers, our mothers, our the, those folks that you know that that had come prior to us being born in this country, they also forgot those areas as well. And I think we are now paying the price of not investing in a more of a strategy of growth. You know, we just don't have the presence. Well, I mean, anymore. that's the price. We, I mean, it would. Be- the focus was on con- consumption rather than building, right? Yeah, exactly. So we just simply do not have presence in major areas of power. So, like, I'll give an example in Washington, like DC. After you know, there's a, a time frame for interfaith work. We have representatives of every major faith, like Dominion. When the Muslims get together, it's literally a ragtag group. We have Alhamdulillah, a great mosque that's much of Muhammad that's been there for 80 years. And then we have a lot of folks like myself who've been in the city for a long time, but don't necessarily affiliate with any one mosque. And we are the ones being put into the this position of being part of these organizations. But simply put, it just shows that there's been a lack of investment by the larger Muslim community in really a strategy of growth. And things have just kind of happened as if there's no zoning policies almost. You know, you see just a, not a really, like a, not a real unified perspective. And granted, the Muslim community in America is very diverse. It'd be very difficult to do that now. But the kind of challenges you're mentioning, I was just when thinking about how is it when we talk about the Muslims' sense of progress. So people will talk about these entertainers, these evangelicals that we have in our community, and not to, to say that there's no good that comes out of that. I think there's a tremendous amount of good that comes out of people watching videos and maybe connecting to the religion in this kind of modern fashion. But the problem is that people are so consumed with building their following, building their YouTube platform, building their social media platform, they're not really building a real institutions, with few exceptions, right? So there's some seminaries now and things like that are happening. But how do you think it is for millennial Muslims, people who are at a crossroads, they're possibly in college or out of college, and they're thinking about what they're going to do with their lives and where they're going to live and where they should invest in and where they should settle their roots. What would be the advice that you would give a young, a young Muslim today about where to live and where to start putting their efforts into? Yeah, I, I, I'm, it's the, uh, the Afan, I, I agree wholeheartedly with, with what you said, you and the, and the Salim. Um, I just have to feel that I have to be a little more merciful on the leadership of the Masajids and the leadership of the Muslim community. I think that we have to be merciful in the sense that we request from, we request that which is, yeah, that, that which is, uh, possible. Um, in the sense that because of how the type of leadership has made in uh, uh, leadership is made in the messages of our, our, our and how the how the and how our religious discourse is made the, the the way we deal with the khutbas the way we deal with the classes the way we deal with the and so you know it's it's a lot of a lot of this uh, just people with a great deal of intention with a great deal of sidq great deal of of sincerity but the people who do da'wah in these institutions are few, you know what I mean? Are very few. And I, I'm probably, this is, would be a little shocking, but a lot of people who do ilm may not know much about the da'wah um, because ilm does not always like scholarship and so does not always warrant warranty a da'wah, warranty a, an investment in a da'wah that is deep, right? That is transformative, that is communal. And that's why you see the phenomena of the phenomenon of, of the individual imam or or the, the imam who is who is just like he gives a khutbah in here and they give him a little bit, salary, uh, some money, and then he goes to another khutbah and then to, to another to another masjid and to another a floating imam without communities and speakers who come and give a beautiful khutbah and then but no responsibility for the community you know, whatsoever. 
um, right? So it is because of the, you know, we have to be merciful to the community, to the people who are do, dealing, you know, the people who built our community and the challenges that they had at that time. They have the challenges of preserving their kids. They have the challenges of adapting. They have the challenges of, of understanding the religion in, 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 a, in a society that is extremely hegemonic in every single way. And it's, it's very difficult to be extremely strategic. And here, when you are divided, when you have a lot of, a lot of things that, that, you, that you are, your understanding of the deen is, is extremely uh, you know, tied up to back home in ways that, is, that are cultural, that are personal. And so it, was, it, took the cla- it took the slap of 9-11 to wake us up. Right and and because because of the nine eleven, it's going to take a lot of time to build up, to build up momentum, to create leadership that is that has this insight. So for every Malcolm X, and for every MLK, and for every leader who actually changed the course of the of the American discourse, whether intellectually or socially or politically or otherwise, there is a hundred and twenty years of work. You know what I mean? The 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 Garvian right the Garvian movement right the yeah. right and so on and so forth. So these are not moment. These are not the Malcolm X moment or the MLK moment or you know these are not these are not uh, you know anomalies in the course of history. It's not. They are they are an outcome of a very long of a discourse that has been that has been uh, fermenting, if you will. That have been simmering and simmering and simmering and simmering, and then it produced something like that. So, this is to say that we have to make sure that as we are, as we critique the status quo, we have to make sure that we are merciful to the people who have sacrificed a lot for it to be the way it is. And it's great, alhamdulillah. They give us a lot of things to to work with, and there is a lot of there is a lot of goodness in it. The fact that we are talking in this way. Um, and the fact that alhamdulillah, you're, you're probably your second generation, and you know they did something great. The fact that we're that alhamdulillah, I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to Salim. They did something great. You know what I mean? So yeah, so it's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, we shouldn't ask from them more than what they could, what, what they offer. But but it sh- we should not stop in there. I think that this is the moment that is our moment right now to take that baton and run with it. Where the areas that we have to pan- we have to we have to be cri- we have we should not fear critique. We should not fear critique. Critique is not bad. We should not fear critique. We should not fear critique of how our religious discourse is made. We should not fear critique of our of, of spirituality that is individualistic. We should not uh, and and extremely isolating and isolated. We should not be uh, you know fear critique about a, scho- a uh, you know scholarly elite that 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 may not rise to the to to the occasion. There is nothing wrong with that, right? As long as it's done in a very respectful way, in a very shara'i way, in a very in a very merciful way. What we should be careful with is the fact that we should not make our merchandise and our capital is only critique, and that's that's where that's where the we should not that's where we should we should not be we should not be in the zone of a critique all the time. I think that we should should you know we're going to start in the realm of the da'wah. You're always going to find yourself alone. You're going to find yourself at certain horizon to cross them and to trans- and to discover them. Uh, you have to. Somebody has to do it, and we have to be there. And you're going to find yourself screaming, "Why is not everybody here? Why are not paying attention to this? Why are not?" But this is this is the this is the the uh, this is the cross of the da'i. The cross of the one who calls for Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is that that he buries all the time, that he carries all the time, is that 
there is a lot of solitude and there's a lot of uh, restlessness, restlessness. And if we create that restlessness in that community, I'm pretty sure it's going to create something good. It's going to produce something good. What's, 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 uh, what should not happen is that with critique comes uh, a negative attitude towards every single thing. And we end up with a reaction, reactionary acts like the mosque, for example. And I know, you know, or unmask, I think you're mentioning. You should, or unmask yeah. or whatever. Right. And, and and we have reaction, you know, reaction from people who are extremely wise, and so reaction, reactionary, reactionary uh, ideas, right? Don't give to the masjid. Don't give to the masjid, for example. Even some of the things like unmask, like these type of this t- way of thinking, these reactionary, these are these are coming from wealthy suburbanites, like right? Because you you have the luxury to be reactionary. You have the luxury to sort of say these things. And and this is part of the problem, isn't it? Well, I think what you're mentioning is actually, yeah, it's a great point because I think as even though I'm going to go off of the allegory that was mentioned about bearing a cross, very Christian interfaith allegory. Sorry. But if you Sorry. Think, if you think, no, if you think about it, Sheikh, that's actually very true. Like, you know, our community oftentimes thinks we do things in this rubric. We think we're so isolated from the greater society and we're not. Before there was unmasked, there was a huge movement that was unchurched and that unchurched movement had a little bit more organization to it. You know, there was folks who became farmers and whatever was produced out of those farms was then donated to charity, things like that. I haven't seen any of those efforts in the Muslim community, but I think what is uh, also very telling is that while there was uh, a lot of uh, kind of promotion of this idea of unmasked amongst a certain uh, age group, and we have to remember that probably more than 40% of the American Muslim population is, is under the age of 40, you know, mo- the majority of Muslims in this country are either immigrants or the children of immigrants. You know, only 24 percent are of indigenous uh, birth. And so it's important to understand those those demographics because I think it shapes their viewpoint. But that unmasked movement, where is it today? I haven't seen much movement about it. I mean, five years ago, big splash, you know, people talked about it. But I just don't see the, the problem I feel. And I think this is where I totally agree. We should completely honor and cherish what our parents and the folks in the suburbs who came to this country and built these institutions, these national organizations, these mosques. You know, you know Allah says, you know, the, 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 our, our prophet taught us that those who are thankful to people are thankful to Allah. And I think that we should have that gratitude towards them without necessarily, as you mentioned, getting too heavily uh, in, tum- in terms of this type of criticism, unless that criticism is beneficial and allows us to change and have a behavior modification that is needed to kind of adjust things a little bit. Uh, but I think the problem is that our generation doesn't seem to be that committed. So while we have a lot of zeal and it's a lot easier to start a social movement on Twitter and feel like you're part of something when you're doing that, even though you're miles away <laughs> from any type of real discomfort, you can feel like you're in the trenches, right? Or you can feel like I'm voicing my my dissatisfaction with the local mosque and yet never hold any position of power in that mosque, never volunteer at that mosque. I mean, there are a lot of problems, I think, systemically with the way the mosques are structured, it's particularly in the suburban community, but they're not alien to that. I mean, one of the bigger issues I see both in urban communities and suburban communities is the age uh, this kind of generational divide that the younger f- folks feel dissatisfied, want to take power, may not know how to do it. The older folks don't trust them, know that maybe th- those folks aren't ready for that type of responsibility. And yet then you get lost generations who have never taken part in the leadership of a mosque, even if they wanted to. And I think the problem with that is that we are not creating 
uh, something that I know as an organization really big on is Sohba, this idea of companionship, this type, this idea of mentorship, that there should be this cross-generational, uh, you know, this kind of mentoring going on so we can actually raise that next generation of leaders at the local level. It just simply, at this point in time, it has not really taken root and whole communities are just really uh, like losing talented and, and, you know, very smart folks because they're not opening their eyes to what's in front of them, which is that a lot of their problems could be solved by those who are younger than them. And the younger people are also not stepping up to the plate and therefore earning that type of respect from the older generation. But yeah, I thought that was a great point to mention. Stay, stay, uh, stay, I find it's a great point uh, that, that you mentioned. But, you know, as we had to be, uh, to be uh, again, fair, um, uh, and and uh, you know this is not just a Muslim problem. This is this is this is every tradition's problem. Is this like how do we hand in the baton? And it has been a problem for the Muslim community as well for a very long time. For a very long time, as problem of transition of leadership and problem of, of how, how do we and so and this is a game of uh, of of uh, this is a game of of demographic, if you will, a game of this. You know there is there is. It is a moment where that that baton is going to fall in our hand, whether we whether we like it or we don't. It's just it's a game of time, you know. After ten years, fifteen years, this, there will be people who are going to be those who are in the boards, and you know, most of the people that are in the boards right now are going to be whether they get tired and exhausted or they are old and they are, they need to. And so we we are getting into being an aged community. We are getting there, you know, the, the our parents and people who. You know, build build the institutions in this country. I always go back to the same point. The first one is that we they have all the right to be doubtful of us. They have all the right. They worked hard to build where they to be where they at. They they built they built institutions that are extremely amazing. They built institutions that do a lot. They built institutions that are that lasted a lot of shocks. You know, there are a lot of shocks. It's and, and they're adapting. Some of them are adapting quickly. Some of them are not. Uh, but uh, you know they 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 have all the all the reasons to doubt if we are up to the task or not. And now instead of creating this 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 feeling of despise and this this clash of generations that is not going to be good, let us win their hearts. Let us be the days we we the, let us be the days we should be. Let us be prophetic. Let's win our hearts. I don't have to be on the board to serve the community. Let's be let's serve them. Let's make their task easy. Let's be under their under their guardianship for some time. Let's show them that we are worthy of their of their trust. Let's not condemn them and condemn their their, their shortcomings again and again and again. What we're trying to do in here, we try to try to see where can we take our understanding of Islam and our practice of Islam in this country, where it actually not just safeguards Islam but it promotes Islam. And for them to move from this idea of preservation to promote it takes it's very difficult because the, the, all their lives they've been in this mode it's it's a mode of being for them right so but i don't think they'll object if they realize that the hand on which they're going to put the baton is a hand that is trustworthy and how do we do that you know let's 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 be people of the message let's do dhikr let's do qiyam let's let's be a suggestive power let's be a suggestive power and let's let's just be easy. Let's just be easy, easy with them. If they don't want to do something, let's not shove it on their throat. You know, I know people who young, young who are so zealous, um, and they wanted to change every single thing all at once. And then they they were shocked that the community is not at the level of where they want to take the community. So, 
the game of the da'wah is a long-term game. And the changing of as the changing of mentalities and transformation of wills and hearts is a long-term, it's a long-term project. So we have to be, we have to just relax, start being, start, you know, start helping in the masjid, start being involved in the masjid and suggesting. And every day we take an inch, every day we take an inch, every day we take an inch, and build that personal rapport with the people. I'm telling people. You know, you complain about this board member or that board, but have you ever invited them for coffee or invited them for tea or or or, or just you know called them with respect? I'm such and I'm such. You know, inshallah, tell me what to do and and go and build that personal report as a dare should be to win their hearts and just like a lot of them will open up their lives to you if you if you if you know really they open up they would they will use you to to deal with the problems that they have with their children or the or whatever and you become an entrustee to them. But we have to win it. So this is an effort that we have to go. It's a beyond just ideas of the masjid and so It's a personal investment on those people. It's a personal investment. I care for them for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. I love them for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. And that's how, that's how it's going to be. I think if we do that, it won't be, it won't, change will not be difficult because it would be on the prophetic, prophetic way. And I say the prophetic way because a lot of times we, we start... We start utilizing, you know, methodologies of business, and we read Malcolm Gladwell, and we're so excited and want to transfer all of that to to the masjid and how it's done. And so it's extremely, and we go with with the idea like we have to balance the budgets and this and that. And we we're not we're not daddies, you know what I mean? And right. I'm, again, I'm going to repeat again. This is this is probably this is, you know, and I I hope inshallah we can develop this idea more. Being a scholar does not mean that you're a daddy. Being an intellectual does not mean that you're a da'i. Does not mean that you can really lead a community. That you really can really build a community that is prophetic, right? It's extremely. It's you know, it, this is this is another beast dealing with the books and the fatwas and so and being an elite in the institutions that that teach you hadith and fiqh. And so they don't teach you life. They don't teach you that the elite of the, the scholarship is is an elite. That's the reality. It is a reality, right? So. It's it's been like that for a very long time, and and that's why you see, as I said, a lot of our brothers and our sisters when they come back from from back home with a lot of knowledge, they can't fit in a, in a community. They can't. They can't fit in the community. They feel that the community is, does not owe them the respect they have. They want to sit on the pedestal and give their khutbahs and give their this and this and that. The reality is that you have to put your boots and get into the trenches and deal with the with the with the with the stuff of the community that is not always does does not always smell nice right and could you and, give us an example from your own experience i mean well, you had I, I, studied for a long time in morocco with leading scholars like sheikh tadidi in, in hadith sciences i'm sure you know coming to america might have been a culture shock when you you know get the type of calls that a, a lot of imams get the fi- the family dynamics and and those types of things sure but allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given had 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 put front of me a, a great man who, who opened my eyes to this and tied up all of this in my in my you know so spirituality is a real thing to me it's not it's not a it's not a transcendent uh, esoteric thing no it is it is in the crying of those who cry in the sickness of those who are sick in the in the hunger of those who are hungry and that's where spirituality is and that's is Sheikh Sheikh and all his books and all his training and all of that and now the, the, all of that scholarship 
and activism and spiritualism all connected in one in one thing. And one of them depends on the other one, and one of them feeds into the other one. There is a reality to every single thing, right? There is a reality. There is there is, there is a there is there is a uh, there is a, an actuality of every single thing. And that's 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 an experience that I can that's an experience that I I, I ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for, you know, I can, I can't thank Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for. Because I, I can tell you, you know, the moment you come out of that hadith, you are an elite without, you know, you are, you are, you are right away a member of the ulama of the Maghrib, of the scholars of Morocco, right away. It's given to you the moment you graduate from that hadith Hassaniyah, you're, you're one of the, you're right. And when you are that, you have to behave in a certain way and you have to treat the amma, the amma in a certain way. We used to study, we used to study with this, uh, with the scholars, is Allah, and always, they never, you know, studied qawaid al-faqiyya. And, Always, when we study the applications of those, he talks about the real application and he repeats the following. And be careful from the commoners and be careful from the commoners. And it builds in you the sense of elevation, the sense of, you know, of, of right? Because you're a study of ilm, you're students of ilm, and because, because people have to have certain type of respect to the ilm in you and so on and so forth. And, you know, the ilm, if it does not motivate the ummah, liberate the ummah. It doesn't liberate the ummah in the, its food and its health and its, and its mind and its, right? We, we, we want, we want, we want, uh, we, we want, we, we, that's not prophetic. That's not prophetic. This is something else, right? And then we add to it the experience of the grad school. And the grad school opened my eyes to a lot of things. Grad school in America, uh, you know, the reading of, of the liberation theology very early on, when you just got into the the, the program, reading about the, the, the about about the the you know the religion of the religion consumerism and the religion politics and religion religion and religion as as a becomes as a cop out and so on. And then now I have a I have another lens with which I start an additional lens with which I can st- and I can look at the tradition and I can look at those readings of Ibn Khaldun and so on and so forth. And now I you know. And it opens a beautiful window for me to see the tradition in a different light, in a, not, not in nuance. I would say different, but nuanced, nuanced light. So, you know, I have a serious conviction that we are going to be there, inshallah. We are going to get into those, into the, whatever we think about, whatever we talk about. But the way we do it matters. The process matters, and the process has to be respectful. The process has to be has to be prophetic. The process has to be reverent. Of the sacrifices of others, whether they are in suburbia or they are in the inner cities, the fact that we find ourselves by ourselves and not not present in certain gathering or something like that, it makes us, as our Sheikh Hamdullah used to say, you say Allah giving you a job, right? If you want a lot of people, you'll be just one of many. But Allah wants to make you a pioneer, so just go ahead and be a pioneer. And with pioneering comes a lot of a lot of headache and a lot of difficulties. A lot of, but also the reward of pioneering and the reward of being there where others are not being shahid wal qist, being the mu'min, the believer, who is the who is the, the the witness of the truth, whatever we are, the witness of the truth, whatever we are, whether we are in suburbia or we are in, in the inner city, we have to be al mu'min shahid wal qist, the believer who is the witnessing and the testimony of the truth. The testimony of the not just witnessing it, but he is and she is the testimony of the truth. With our deep spiritual connection to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, by our 
beautiful understanding of the Sunnah of the Prophet and with a beautiful representation of this tradition that actually that that did not find any problem, you know, uh, adapting to cultures that are different than the Arab cultures and so on and so forth. I think that we are in that cusp of 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 that, inshallah. I see a lot of restlessness in the youth, and I see that the idea in here is to create for them a, a an intellectual framework, right? An intellectual framework. And if we talk enough about this, I think we're going to see we're going to see, we're going to unleash the creativity of the Muslims, and we're going to see a lot of things happening. And alhamdulillah, a lot of things start happening right now. A lot of things, a lot of beautiful initiatives start happening in 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 the Muslim communities that are related to related to. I went to Ikna last last year, um, and there were a lot of themes and a lot of discussions about how you know about activism and about godly activism and about how to how to move out of the the idea that the world is rosy and that we just you know have to take care of ourselves and to take care of our our kids and uh, and build our build our messages and so and it was extremely refreshing it was beautifully refreshing and most of the talks that have been very 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 well attended are the talks who are about that so there is something going on in our community we just need to we need to guide it and we need to give it reverence and respect and and I think inshallah inshallah um, there will be a lot of uh, a lot of khair coming out of it. Unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, uh, we've we're gonna have to stop because uh, the time is up. But uh, uh, you know, obviously, this podcast uh, is coming from a certain uh, a, a certain perspective. You know, obviously, we're talking from a very suburban perspective, and inshallah, we hope in the future to have uh, a different discussion about this topic uh, with you know uh, people from different um, perspectives as well uh, but this obviously was uh, you know for an audience uh, that uh, for for a suburban type of background audience and we recognize that there's going to be limitations in that but I want to um, uh, thank you Sheikh Hassan for for um, taking the time out and uh, thank you Irfan for um, coming on the show and we well, hope to see you again me. as well yeah and thanks Sheikh Hassan it's always great to talk to you and chat with yeah. you May Allah Ta'ala reward you. Jazakumullah kulla khair. Jazakumullah kulla khair. May Allah Ta'ala reward you. May Allah Ta'ala reward you. I wanted to reiterate again, please uh, forgive me. It was not It was not, a, it was not an attempt on you know, assaulting the suburb, suburban and so it was Muslims. No, no, absolutely not. It was no, just suburbans a, need this. They, they need know, to get beaten just, down. Yeah, no, no, we just, no, no, absolutely. Everybody needs to, no, I just, honestly, it was, it was just a way of thinking about our situation. It's just, you know, we want to, we want to, Start looking at our situation and thinking about it in a very creative way, in a very you know, and critique, and we should not fear critique, um, and we should be critical of our situation and our where we're going. In that regard, inshallah, we can make our steps that we take, inshallah, enlightened, and we can we can inshallah uh, always be at the level where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam wants us to be. May Allah Taala reward you. May Allah Taala bless this podcast. It's always inspiring. It's always um, provocative. It's always hamla. And we always want it to be this way. May Allah Ta'ala reward you. May Allah Ta'ala accept from you. And may Allah Ta'ala accept and reward all those who hear it and make dua for us. Amen. Jazakallah khair. Thank you, Sheikh. Thank you, Sheikh Hassan, again. And I want to thank, of course, all of you, the listeners listening and joining us for another podcast. Uh, again, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can visit imanwara.com for 
the latest podcasts and articles. Uh, please, please share the podcast. Uh, the, one of the things that uh, really helps us this podcast grow and go to bigger audiences. If, if you yourself can can share it with a friend or someone you think might benefit from it. Um, if you're listening to us on iTunes, give us a five star rating, leave a review. All of that really helps in getting this podcast out to a greater audience. We hope again to see you on the next program. Until then, assalamualaikum, peace be unto you. Oh,